Rhapsodize Presents Feminine Perspectives, performed by Capricia Page. In this rhapsody, we will be focusing on the perspective of the feminine. Not the feminine ideal, per se, or even women in general, but simply the feminine. More the idea of those nuances we ascribe to feminine as opposed to masculine, especially where our sensibilities are concerned. Each poem captures a moment's perception, preserving it forever. Of course, the poems deal generally with the idea of freedom or entrapment, as do many poems dealing with the feminine. We will look at a poem by Tennyson, Amy Lowell, Christina Rossetti, and Robert Browning. Up first is The Lady of Shalott by Alfred Lord Tennyson, where we get the tragic story of a woman who simply watches life go by her. Then, when she actually decides to become part of the world, the curse has come upon her, and she meets her death before she finds the paradise she is seeking. The Lady of Shalott by Alfred Lord Tennyson, performed by Capricia Page. One. On either side the river lie long fields of barley and of rye that clothe the wall and meet the sky, and through the field the road runs by to many-towered Camelot, and up and down the people go gazing where the lilies blow, round an island there below, the island of Shalott. Willows whiten, aspens quiver, little breezes dusk and shiver through the wave that runs forever by the island in the river, flowing down to Camelot. Four gray walls and four gray towers overlook a space of flowers, and the silent island bowers the Lady of Shalott. By the margin willow veiled, slide the heavy barges trailed by slow horses, and unhailed the shallop flitteth silken sailed, skimming down to Camelot. But who hath seen her wave her hand, or at the casement seen her stand? Or is she known in all the land, the Lady of Shalott? Only reapers, reaping early, in among the bearded barley, hear a song that echoes cheerly from the river winding clearly, down to towered Camelot. And by the moon the reaper weary, piling sheaves in uplands airy, listening, whispers, "'Tis the fairy Lady of Shalott." Two, There she weaves, by night and day, a magic web with colors gay. She has heard a whisper say, a curse is on her if she stay to look down to Camelot. She knows not what the curse may be, and so she weaveth steadily. And little other care hath she, the Lady of Shalott. And moving through a mirror clear that hangs before her all the year, shadows of the world appear. There she sees the highway near winding down to Camelot. There the river eddy whirls, and there the surly village churls and the red cloaks of the market girls pass onward from Shalott. Sometimes a troop of damsels glad, an abbot on an ambling pad, sometimes a curlied shepherd lad, or long-haired page in crimson clad, goes by to towered Camelot. And sometimes through the mirror blue the knights come riding two by two, she hath no loyal knight and true, the Lady of Shalott. But in her web she still delights to weave the mirror's magic sights, for often through the silent nights a funeral with plumes and lights and music 
went to Camelot. Or when the moon was overhead came two young lovers lately wed. I am half sick of shadows, said the Lady of Shalott. 3. A bow-shot from her bower eaves, he rode between the barley sheaves, the sun came dazzling through the leaves and flamed upon the brazen greaves of bold Sir Lancelot. A red-cross knight forever kneeled to a lady in his shield that sparkled on the yellow field beside remote Shalott. The jimmy bridle glittered free, like some branch of stars we see hung in the golden galaxy. The bridle bells rang merrily as he rode down to Camelot, and from his blazoned baldric slung a mighty silver bugle hung, and as he rode his armor rung beside remote Shalott. All in the blue unclouded weather thick jeweled shone the saddle leather, the helmet and the helmet feather burned like one burning flame together as he rode down to Camelot. As often through the purple night Below the starry clusters bright, some bearded meteor, trailing light, moves over still Shalott. His broad, clear brow in sunlight glowed, on burnished hooves his war-horse trode. From underneath his helmet flowed his coal-black curls as on he rode, as he rode, down to Camelot. From the bank and from the river he flashed into the crystal mirror, Tiralira by the river sang Sir Lancelot. She left the web, she left the loom. She made three paces round the room, she saw the water lily bloom, she saw the helmet and the plume, she looked down to Camelot. Out flew the web and floated wide, the mirror cracked from side to side. The curse has come upon me, cried the Lady of Shalott. 4. In the stormy east wind straining, the pale yellow woods were waning. The broad stream in his banks complaining, heavily the low sky raining, over towered Camelot. Down she came and found a boat, beneath a willow left afloat, and round about the prow she wrote, the Lady of Shalott. And down the river's dim expanse, like some bold seer in a trance, seeing all his own mischance, with a glassy countenance, did she look to Camelot. And at the closing of the day, she loosed the chain, and down she lay. The broad stream bore her far away, the Lady of Shalott. Lying robed in snowy white, that loosely flew to left and right, the leaves upon her falling light. Through the noises of the night she floated down to Camelot. And as the boat had wound along the willowy hills and fields among, they heard her singing her last song, the Lady of Shalott. Heard a carol, mournful holy, chanted loudly, chanted lowly, till her blood was frozen slowly, and her eyes were darkened wholly, turned to towered Camelot. For ere she reached upon the tide the first house by the waterside, singing in her song she died, the Lady of Shalott. Under tower and balcony, by garden wall and gallery, A gleaming shape she floated by, dead pale between the houses high, Silent, into Camelot. Out upon the wharfs they came, knight and burgher, lord and dame, 
and round the prow they read her name, the Lady of Shalott. Who is this, and what is here? And in the lighted palace near died the sound of royal cheer, and they crossed themselves for fear, all the knights at Camelot. But Lancelot mused a little space. He said, She has a lovely face. God in his mercy lend her grace, the Lady of Shalott. Now we will move from the feminine trapped by a curse to one imprisoned, even after death, by a tyrannical brute of a duke. Robert Browning's My Last Duchess pulls back the curtain on the tormented shadow of a life that had been the Duchess's to endure. While we never hear her voice directly, this is one of those instances where what is not said says just as much as what is actually said. My Last Duchess, Ferrara by Robert Browning, performed by Capricia Page. That's my last duchess painted on the wall, looking as if she were alive. I call that piece a wonder now. Fra Pandolf's hand worked busily a day, and there she stands. Would please you sit and look at her? I said Fra Pandolf by design, for never read strangers like you that pictured countenance, the depth and passion of its earnest glance, but to myself they turned, since none puts by the curtain I have drawn for you but I, and seemed as they would ask me, if they durst, how such a glance came there. So not the first are you to turn and ask thus. Sir, t'was not her husband's presence only called that spot of joy into the Duchess's cheek. Perhaps Fra Pandolf chanced to say, her mantle laps or my lady's wrist too much, or— Paint must never hope to reproduce the faint half-flush that dies along her throat. Such stuff was courtesy, she thought, and cause enough for calling up that spot of joy. She had a heart, how shall I say, too soon made glad, too easily impressed. She liked what air she looked on, and her looks went everywhere. Sir, was all one. My favor at her breast— the dropping of the daylight in the west, the bough of cherries some officious fool broke in the orchard for her, the white mule she rode with round the terrace, all and each would draw from her alike the approving speech, or blush at least. She thanked men, good, but thanked somehow, I know not how, as she ranked my gift of a nine hundred years old name with anybody's gift. Who'd stoop to blame this sort of trifling? even had you skill in speech which I have not, to make your will quite clear to such an one, and say, Just this or that in you disgusts me, here you miss or there exceed the mark. And if she let herself be lessened so, nor plainly set her wits to yours, forsooth, and made excuse, e'en then would be some stooping, and I choose never to stoop. Oh, sir, she smiled, no doubt, whene'er I passed her. But who passed without much the same smile? This grew. I gave commands. Then all smiles stopped together. There she stands, as if alive. Will't please you rise? We'll meet the company below, then. I repeat, the Count, your master's known magnificence, is ample warrant that no just pretense of mine for dowry will be disallowed. Though his fair daughter's self, as I avowed at starting, is my object. Nay, we'll go together down, sir. 
Notice Neptune, though, taming a seahorse, thought a rarity, which Klaus of Innsbruck cast in bronze for me. There are, perhaps, fates worse than death. With Amy Lowell's patterns, we shift from the feminine suffering a cruel death to the feminine being left behind in the wake thereof. Both painful fates indeed. Patterns by Amy Lowell Performed by Capricia Page I walk down the garden paths, and all the daffodils are blowing, and the bright blue squills. I walk down the patterned garden paths in my stiff, brocaded gown. With my powdered hair and jeweled fan, I, too, am a rare pattern, as I wander down the garden paths. My dress is richly figured, and the train makes a pink and silver stain on the gravel and the thrift of the borders. Just a plate of current fashion, tripping by in high-heeled ribbon shoes, not a softness anywhere about me, only whalebone and brocade. And I sink on a seat in the shade of a lime tree, for my passion wars against the stiff brocade. The daffodils and squills flutter in the breeze as they please, and I weep, for the lime tree is in blossom, and one small flower has dropped upon my bosom. And the plashing of water-drops in the marble fountain comes down the garden paths. The dripping never stops. Underneath my stiffened gown is the softness of a woman bathing in a marble basin, a basin in the midst of hedges grown so thick she cannot see her lover hiding, but she guesses he is near. And the sliding of the water seems the stroking of a dear hand upon her, what is summer in a fine brocaded gown? I should like to see it lying in a heap upon the ground, all the pink and silver crumpled up on the ground. I would be the pink and silver as I ran along the paths, and he would stumble after, bewildered by my laughter. I should see the sun flashing from his sword-hilt and the buckles on his shoes. I would choose to lead him in a maze along the patterned paths, a bright and laughing maze for my heavy-booted lover, till he caught me in the shade, and the buttons of his waistcoat bruised my body as he clasped me, aching, melting, unafraid. With the shadows of the leaves and the sun-drops, and the plopping of the water-drops, all about us in the open afternoon, I am very like to swoon with the weight of this brocade, for the sun sifts through the shade. Underneath the fallen blossom in my bosom is a letter I have hid. It was brought to me this morning by a rider from the Duke. Madam, we regret to inform you that Lord Hartwell died in action Thursday said night. As I read it in the white morning sunlight, the letters squirmed like snakes. Any answer, madam? said my footman. No, I told him. See that the messenger takes some refreshment. No, no answer. And I walked into the garden, up and down the patterned paths, in my stiff correct brocade. The blue and yellow flowers stood up proudly in the sun, each one. I stood upright too held rigid to the pattern by the stiffness of my gown. 
Up and down I walked. Up and down. In a month he would have been my husband. In a month here, underneath this lime, we would have broke the pattern. He for me, and I for him. He is colonel, I is lady, on this shady seat. He had a whim that sunlight carried blessing, and I answered, It shall be as you have said. Now he is dead. In summer and in winter I shall walk up and down the patterned garden paths in my stiff, brocaded gown. The squills and daffodils will give place to pillared roses and to asters and to snow. I shall go up and down in my gown, gorgeously arrayed, boned and stayed, and the softness of my body will be guarded from embrace by each button, hook and lace. For the man who should loose me is dead, fighting with the duke in Flanders in a pattern called a war. Christ, what are patterns for? And finally we wind up with Christina Rossetti's song, When I Am Dead, My Dearest. Perhaps here more than any other poem we have seen thus far, gives us a look at an attempt to balance between the masculine and the feminine, the yin and the yang, if you will. The speaker urges her love to be free after her death, feeling no obligation, no fettering tie, but simply to embrace that which brings the most joy. Song, When I Am Dead, My Dearest, by Christina Rossetti, performed by Capricia Page. When I am dead, my dearest, sing no sad songs for me. Plant thou no roses at my head, nor shady cypress tree. Be the green grass above me with showers and dewdrops wet, and if thou wilt remember, and if thou wilt forget. I shall not see the shadows, I shall not feel the rain, I shall not hear the nightingale sing on as if in pain, and dreaming through the twilight that doth not rise nor set, haply I may remember, and haply may forget. The feminine resides within all of us, whether it is in those softer emotions or in the ability to stand amid the torment of imprisonment. So whether you find yourself stalked like Browning's Duchess, or walking in endless patterns with Amy Lowell, or singing out with Rossetti, we all eventually find ourselves somewhere, no matter how feminine we are, or are not. <laughs> 